Hi, everyone. Welcome to a brand new uh, Film Music Media Conversation. I'm sitting here with composer Corey Wallace. Corey, thank you so much for taking time to sit down today. Thank you, Kai. Excited to be here. Absolutely. So to start off, I've been asking this question to composers, and it may have it may sound like a simple question, but it also, I think, has much deeper possibilities of what your answer could be, and it's been so different for everybody. So I'm curious what yours is going to be, and uh, and as you can take it, however you see this question, uh, as you know, however you take it. So as a composer, as a musician, as a person, as a human being, uh, I'm curious, what does music mean to you? Oh man, you had to start with a really tough one, didn't you? <laughs> um, man, I mean. Music just ended up being the outlet that I know where, where I fell in love with, you know, what I was doing with it. You know, um, yeah. I as a, I was really into math and science, you know, in, in school, and I actually started out as an industrial engineering major at the University of Wisconsin. But I kept I played in jazz band. I took composition course. I really loved music um, ever since I was a kid, and so I wanted to keep that music education alive while I was at school, I was at um, college. And, um, you know, eventually it just dawned on me that this is the thing that I'm pouring most of myself into is the thing I spend most of my time doing, even though I'm not getting actual school credit for it. And I just love doing it the most. So it just makes sense that I should do this as much as I possibly can. So um, I was never, even though I was, if I, if I may say, I was pretty smart, but I wasn't um, a very good student. I was kind of mm -hmm. lazy, um, but, when it, I realized that my effort, you know, was being put into something that it's because I love doing it. That's why I'm putting all this effort into it. It kind of dawned on me that that's what I should be doing with my life. And here we are. Wow. That's awesome. So yeah, that's interesting. You didn't even, you didn't go to school for, you went for engineering. That's such a, that's so fascinating. Well, I started out <laughs> in engineering and then uh, I, after a couple of years, I switched over and made music my full-time major. Yes. And then geared towards uh, getting into USC's uh, scoring for motion pictures and television program and kind of just kind of funneling myself towards a career in film music once I decided to make the change. Absolutely. So let's rewind back. I'm curious, uh, you know, when do you remember a point in your life that music kind of entered it? Was there like a sudden thing where it's like, oh, my God, look at this? Or did it was something gradual? Did you not really realize it at first that you were interested in it? Or was there like, do you remember like a catalyst moment at all in your life where music just kind of started becoming an interest? Music or film music? Music in general, just when you were aware of music. Oh, I mean, that was just from an early age. I, I didn't take piano lessons or anything like that, but I, I went to a school that had a really good music education program, you know, the um, playing the recorder and, and, yeah. and studying different eras of music history in elementary school and playing in the high school, in the band. And then in high school, um, my uh, my band director, uh, Dr. Daniel Brand, he was really influential figure in getting me interested in all kinds of different types of music as well as music theory. Like it's not common that uh, high schools even offer a music theory program, but right. um, that's when I learned about voice leading and um, different types of harmonizations. And it was really the start of my composition career. Um, kind of to back up a little bit, my, my older brother is more of the natural musician of the family he's the type of guy that can pick up instruments and just play them or, or learn to play them really quickly. So he played guitar and played piano and we got a piano in the house because of him. And that's about age 11 or so. It's when I started composing. Um, yeah. I, I had a little music book and I would 
play a little melody on top and write it down, play a little bass line, write it down, maybe put something in the middle. And I, I started thinking, oh, music composition is easy. You just put something on top, on the bottom and in the middle. And, um, you know, it sounds kind of silly, but at the same time, it's that's kind of what music is. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So well, yeah, when did you become aware of film music and when did you want to make that I mean, understandably, I know you wanted to make it your career while you were already engineering school. So I'm curious, when were you aware of it? And we were like, okay, I'm pivoting and this is what I want to do with my life. Well, the pivot happened when, because I was taking composition courses and my my friend Evan Pessis, uh, who was a film major at uh, Wisconsin, if I didn't mention before, University of Wisconsin-Madison, mm -hmm. and he had done a little noir student film and asked me if I wanted to, to score it because he's the only... Person, I was the only person he knew that was writing music. So, um, you know, I said yes. I didn't know how it was going to go, how long it would take. Um, and I, I didn't really know anything about film music technology. This is back in 2004. You know, I did the whole thing with a VCR and a piano and paper and pencil. And I used a stopwatch and a metronome to, to figure out the timings of things. Um, very, very uh, primitive technology, but I absolutely loved it. I fell in love with the process. I fell in love with the idea of putting music to picture. Um, I, I always thought the idea of the blank page was very nebulous and I didn't quite know how to structure music that I was writing or where, where to take it. But once I got the picture and the music now fits against the picture, uh, it, everything took shape for me. And I, and I liked that part of it, putting it into that, those parameters into that yeah. box. So that's what I just kind of fell in love with that process. Um, but to answer your question, the first time I really noticed film music in general was the 20th century uh, logo music, oh, because yeah. I used to watch among our VC uh, VHS collection uh, when I was a kid was was the Star Wars trilogy on, on VHS. And, you know, the 20th century music logo that came up for Star Wars was almost more iconic to me than Star Wars music itself. <laughs> yeah. it, came up maybe just because it came first and it just got me really excited to watch Star Wars even more than the Star Wars theme the logo music got me excited to watch Star Wars yeah that's one of the, I mean that's probably top tier like of all the studio logos like 20th Century Fox definitely at the top and then <laughs> when I was about studios now <laughs> and then when I was about 11 or 12 um, when Jurassic Park came out I went to go see that and in the journey to the island when uh the first time we hear the that theme, um, yeah. the first time we hear that with the helicopter going to the island, um, I kept noticing that every time they cut outside the helicopter, they would talk inside the helicopter, but then cut to the exterior with the waterfall, with the with the mountains, with the ocean, and the theme and the trumpets would play every time they cut, and it was the dialogue would happen, then they'd clear the dialogue, and the theme would happen, and I was like, how did they get that to work? How did they get that to sync up to picture? Yeah perfectly and that was kind of the beginning of my you know journey towards music sync if you will yeah no i, I remember when I, I remember i think the jurassic park was the first movie i saw in a theater that was i was six years old so it was 93 and i remember i had like a one of those just, it was like a kid's book that was just like tying with the movie but it just showed like scenes and i remember sitting in the theater flipping through the book and making sure that the the scene matched up with what seeing on, on the screen so i was already like yeah thinking in like structure and stuff it's so weird how our brains will just like start like okay let's pick it up and see how why does this work you know like right. so it, let's let's talk about like i'm curious how you kind of 
first got your your foot in you know foot in the door like, what were the, kind of the first jobs you started taking uh when you're in LA and how did you uh I know you, I mean I know as you started you scored a lot of shorts and then you kind of moved into features so I'm curious what that journey was like for you kind of as a younger composer just getting kind of trying to get your career started yeah that's something that people ask me about like younger composers that want to know yeah. like how do I start or how I get going in this industry and yeah, there's no there's no one answer. Uh, the USC program, which is now called the Screen Scoring, um, I think it's a master's in screen scoring. When I was doing it, it was scoring for motion motion pictures and television, SMPTV, and um, that was a really great uh, stepping stone because coming to LA, not knowing a soul, I, I barely ever met anybody who did, did film composing before coming to LA. But then on day one, put in a room with you know, 19 other, you know, students and a bunch of teachers who all they want to do is give you their knowledge and perspective and inspiration. And suddenly you're part of, part of this uh, community that yeah. I was never a part of before. And that was a huge help. And the, the guidance that a program like that gives you on, these are the different people that you should know or could know. These are different types of roles in the film music and filmmaking world, you know, everything from music editors to orchestrators and copyists and man, um, they just took us around town, different scoring stages, different different composer studios, met so many great composers and um, yeah, just really, you don't know what you don't know and they fill in those gaps really well. Yeah. Like, oh, this is a really good foundation to get started. Uh, one of those teachers was Christopher Young, legendary composer and uh, when I came out of USC, at my first job was actually at Starbucks, which um, you know must have thrilled my parents to to go into student loan debt to work at Starbucks. But yeah. um, that was just for the summer after to get my footing. And then Chris Freon was looking for an assistant for his uh, class, the one that I had just taken the previous year. So um, I. I think me and one other student applied for that job because um, we all love Chris. Chris is yeah. is great. Um, but, you know, he, he had a tendency at the time, not so much anymore, but he, he was kind of quick fused to say. And uh, so not not too many people were interested in taking that job. But but I thought if I could go work for Chris and if I could survive working for Chris, then I could work for anybody. And um, there, there was some truth to that. But so I spent the next three years working for him part time while I did my own shorts and, and features um, all the while like having a reasonable um, part-time paycheck to, to pay the bills and yeah. the continuous education of, of working for someone like Chris was, was invaluable in, in starting my career. That's awesome. Yeah. Chris, he's, he's so generous with like his knowledge. I mean, I just has his reputation of just trying to help everyone. I mean, I've seen him at, at signings and events, just handing out his cell phone to like people who are trying to like, you know, He's great. Absolutely to anybody. And he always, he always says that, you know, if you're ever going to quit, you know, call me first so I can <laughs> meet you at the airport and tackle you and prevent you from getting on that plane and going back home because, because you need to give this a real shot. Yeah. You got to give it time and give it a shot. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a great soul. I love Chris so much. Um, well, let's, I want to jump into, uh, before we talk about Supercell, which uh, is an amazing score that you, you just recently did, but before we jump into that, um, I'd love to talk about kind of your general approach. Um, you know, I know this is going to like uh, differ between, depending on what project you're working on, but in general, 
I'm curious where the first note comes from for you. Where do you love to start for inspiration? Do you love to watch that first locked cut? Do you like to, uh, if you're lucky enough to be early on, read the script? Do you like to just sit with the director first? Do you just like to noodle away from picture first? Like, where does like kind of the first part of your process that you typically like to do? Wow, enough. You already kind of hit the nail on the head. Where the real answer is, it depends because every project no matter what is going to be incredibly unique in its own dramatic and music needs. Um, the director or producers or studio that you're trying to please, um, how much time you have, how much money you have in the budget. And all that really dictates the process uh, for me. Like yeah. in general, what I always try to do at the beginning, no matter what, if I can say it in, in blanket terms, is create a sort of toolbox mm -hmm. to draw from. And that could mean uh, thematic material, melodies. It could mean a certain instrumental or sonic palette. Uh, it could mean a bunch of sound design and weird you know, textures and effects and just kind of a general aesthetic for the score. Either way, I'm just trying to get into that like I said earlier about parameters and yeah. I had a composition professor who called it the Stravinsky box um, because you can't just start anything, even in the concert world, you can't just start with uh, just an open slate. It's just too daunting and it's too nebulous. You have to have some sort of parameters. Oh, this certain length and this certain ensemble and this style. So um, generally, you know, the movie itself or the, what the directors said uh, or the temp music has kind of pushed me in one direction and then from there develop that toolbox. Spending however amount of time a week or a couple days, you know, or more in Supercell, definitely more. Uh, coming up, just setting up the the computer template, the, the DAW template, um, mm. digital audio workstation for those who don't know. Um, just setting that template up and that workflow uh, that is the beginning of the whole process. So you're not just designing a score, you're designing a workflow at the beginning, or at least I am, excuse me. Yeah. So, and that workflow is really gonna, and, and even choosing what technology to use. You know, I work in a bunch of different programs depending on the nature of the material and depending on what the score is gonna be like. So I just have my favorite tools for different types of, of jobs. So just figuring that out really dictates how the rest of the project is gonna go. Absolutely. So let's, yeah, let's jump into uh, Supercell because uh, you did a, such a beautiful score for, you know, there's this movie that kind of really throws us back to the, you know, the stuff that we, we grew up with and has kind of an old fashioned feel, but still feels modern and, and, and kind of fits to the, to the story that it's telling. And, you know, for people like me who grew up with movies like Twister and stuff like that, it just feels like, I don't know, just, it, it just brings back that, that great way of what scores kind of used to be like in the nineties and early two thousands. So <laughs> yeah. 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 And for us older folks, the 80s and even yeah. even, even before that, you know, yeah, melody, melody should be a timeless thing. And somehow it got forgotten a little bit, you know, around I, I want to say around 2008, 2009, just as yeah. I was yeah. starting to emerge in this industry, everything that I had trained for and everything that I had wanted to do to get into film music it kind of went out the window a little bit. I remember one of my one of my first features that I had done was called Shadow People. And um, Jamie Winderstrom, the director of um, Supercell, he was the editor on that. 
and he for our, our director Matt Arnold, and he put like Clint Mansell's Moon and Trent Reznor Atticus Ross Social Network from top to bottom, and this was a completely different thing for me than I had yeah. ever done because I was used to orchestra and melody and now everything's synth and pulse and vibe versus you know melody so it was an adjustment for sure yeah well you mentioned uh yeah uh your, your director James James uh Winterstone uh Herbert James Winterstone who directed uh uh, Supercell, but so you you do have a, a previous relationship with him because he also scored his series uh, Siberia that he directed, and so and you mentioned he was an editor on another film. So I'm curious, when did you first meet him, and what was it like? Uh, what were kind of the first steps that you guys talked about when you started on Supercell? Yeah, it was. You know, I hope that Jamie and I continue to work forever, and that he becomes big hotshot director, and I can be his right hand man for for all time because that would be the Hollywood story that we all hope for when right. you meet somebody in school and at USC and escort a student film. We were introduced by a mutual friend, escort a student film of his, and we just hit it off really well. We After USC, he did this long short, you know, like 30 minutes, so not like six minutes, but this right. long short called Son of a Don. It actually didn't have any score in it, but it had a lot of uh, needle drops a lot of uh, soundtrack, uh, what do you, what do you call it? Uh, song, songs. Yeah. <laughs> source music was the term I was looking for. Source music, yeah. Either source music or just needle drops. Yeah, songs. And, um, you know, so I did some music editing on that. You know, I had never actually done any music editing. Oh, wow. My own projects, but, you know, just to help out, just to be, you know, part of the team around the process, I, I did some music editing on that. And, you know, we just kind of been friends and collaborators this whole time. When he edited uh, Matt Arnold's Shadow People, I um, I gave him some music to put in the temp as well. And I remember he would, he called me, he's like, Matt, the director, he's over at my house reviewing, you know, the cut, you know, why don't you stop by? And I just would happen to show up and I met the director. And um, then we hit it off. I ended up scoring that film. And then Matt created the show Siberia, which Jamie uh, directed a few episodes. And, you know, he invited me on to do that as well. So in between Siberia and Shadow, uh, I'm sorry, si Siberia and not Shadow People and Supercell, a lot of S's in here. Yeah. <laughs> he, um, Jamie launched a production company called Swipe Market with Kevin Radin. And, you know, they did some brand marketing, uh, some like, video production for companies like HPE. And, you know, we continue to score those projects whenever they could get the budget or the creative investment into an original score for, I mean, Jamie loves doing these high concept pieces and yeah. you know, doing some grand orchestral music to sell computer server software is, you know, that's, it was great. Um, but then, yes, yeah, so, so it was never, I'd like to say that it was never any like doubt that I would get to score his feature debut of Supercell. Yeah. And when, when he came up with the idea, uh, you know, he came to me pretty early and it was three years before they even rolled camera that uh, we started working on themes. We just wanted to have wow. strong themes and memorable themes and, and have that main theme, that one hook that hopefully bear, burrows into your brain. Uh, we wanted that locked really early so that once we got into the scoring process, we would already have that base, that 
um, that starter toolkit that I mentioned, and we wouldn't have to quote unquote waste time during our scoring window. We would already have those themes in place. Absolutely. So, I mean, Supercell, like, talk to me about working on a, on a movie like this, you know, that's a little, little bit lower budget, more indie kind of an, you know, indie production. That's not some, you know, a $200 million blockbuster. And you're taking kind well, of a pretty big approach with your score and you wanted to be kind of big and bold. So I'm curious how, as a composer, do you manage uh, the budget that you're working with and to make sure that it just fits with the, the film that you guys are working on? Yeah. So Jamie, very ambitious director. And um, he, he's admitted that he was a little naive with his lofty goals thinking I, I can make this $60 million movie on a $5 million budget. Right. You know, I'll just find a way to do it. I'll will it into existence. And, you know, there, there are some shortcomings um, in the film because of the budget restrictions, but for the most part, uh, he captured the essence, and that was a big word for us. He captured the essence of what he was trying to accomplish, even though he had to reduce his setups on, on most days and, and and change. He had storyboarded like the whole movie, but he, he didn't get to do like 75% of those shots. And he had yeah. to come up with, on the day, he had to come up with new ways. You know, we have you know, three hours to get this done. How are we going to do it? What are we going to do? Um, and the same thing applied to the music. You know, he asked me, years in advance you know what kind of budget would this take to do you know this orchestral score top to bottom and i gave him a number and um he fought his hardest with you know for for, for music budget but at yeah. the end of the day you know nothing in post got what we needed and what we deserved so um we had to figure out how to do what we wanted to do but on a fraction of right. the budget um even though when I started in 2008, um, like computer mockups, uh, synth mockups, as they call them, you know, using orchestral samples to simulate the sound of the orchestra, they weren't that great back then. And I certainly wasn't very good at producing a convincing mockup. I always like to do a good enough job to show a director this is what it could sound like and then get in front of the orchestra. And that's when it comes alive. Um, right. Thankfully, in the last 15 years, there have been a lot of improvements and a lot of advances in the sound of orchestral mock-ups, and I've gotten more adept at, at doing them. So, you know, even though some of the music in Supercell is completely sample-based out of the box, out of the computer, um, I think it still sounds pretty good and it's pretty convincing. Yeah. Um, there, are, there are key moments, though, that we knew music would be featured or we needed to get that extra level of emotion or effort or energy from the real live orchestra. And so we allocated pretty efficiently, you know, specific scenes or even segments of scenes like this 20 seconds here, this 30 seconds here, um, this one minute cue. And that's the, that's the stuff that we recorded with the full orchestra. And then on a lower tier, we did a string ensemble for like another half dozen cues. And then below that, we did what's called sweetening where you'll record a handful of anywhere from a soloist to a handful of, of instruments. Um, we did a woodwind quartet that really spiced up a lot of cues that were otherwise completely synthesized. And um, there's a lot of flute solos in the movie. So, you know, we had to get those in real life and um, you can feel the emotion in the playing as opposed to just, you know, very stale computer based music. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I mean, I love that approach to get around that you know you see that obstacle it's like oh we can't have a fully you know full orchestra we can 
and just pick the moments that really need it. I mean, that's a great way to adapt thinking. And I, the reason why I love these kind of smaller films is that the filmmaking spirit is so alive. Like when I see, like I hear you talk about it or hear you talk about Jamie and like trying to get the shots. And even though he has big ambitions, like, but that's like, reminds me of like being in film school and just like, oh yeah, we just, just go for it. Let's get it, just try to get it done. And I, which you don't see or you don't feel in kind of the more big studio stuff. It just feels very processed and product-like. And even though movies like this might have, you know, you know, shortcomings or feel like smaller, but there's still that, that energy behind it. That's why I love watching like low budget, like especially in the 80s and 90s, just like horror movies too kind of have that like, even though they might not be the best, but they're just like, oh my God, this is like the passion in there and you just feel it um, coming through. So I'm curious. Um, before, oh, sorry. We talk, before we talk about me anymore or Supercell, um, you know, the, what you're saying right now is exactly what is happening right now uh, to the Daniels. And um, yeah. they, we, we, we have yet to see, and I'm really excited to see what they do with this universal um, overall deal that they signed because, you know, for the first time, they're going to have a real budget to execute. And I'm excited to see if it means they can now do everything they want to do bigger, better, more, or right. if some of that spirit of, you know, how do we do this um, on our budget, if some of that gets lost in the bigger machine of the studio versus the indie world. So we have yet to see, but I'm excited. Yeah, I've, I've been waiting for like, I love that you brought the Daniels up because that was like, you know, I was like, this is reawakened my like energy and, and I have faith in like, you know, kind of filmmaking again, just seeing that movie rise to the level that it did and become as popular as it did. And they did it. Yeah, it was, I mean, they filmed in pretty much like one or two locations that all of us practically like, Four people did the visual effects. Most of it was, you know, practical. Um, I, I interviewed the composers, Sun Lux. They're great. They did everything during the pandemic. They didn't have music editors. They were just, you know, just scraping by trying to get it done. And I thought, you know, we need like a new, like a, a new, new wave, like a new French wave to like a new, to kind of revitalize, you know, get those original voices kind of back in behind the camera. And I think what you pointed out is like, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they do that. Yeah. And just to swing this back around, um, the music mixer for everything everywhere uh satoshi naguchi he um is someone that i've been working with for a long time and he oh, wow. did a bunch of album mixing for supercell so That's all awesome. of my favorite tracks that i front loaded the album with with orchestra and strings um all mixed by satoshi and he's amazing that's awesome. That's incredible. So uh, yeah, talk to me about, just talk to me about the score of Supercell. What was your, if you had any, you know, we talked about kind of our inspirations that we loved growing up. Did you draw from any composers that you loved? How did you try to make sure that it still was kind of your voice? What did you want to say with the score? And how did you balance, you know, it is a disaster movie, but all disaster movies, you know, natural disaster movies have the, the characters that carry everything. So how do you balance kind of the big more you know bombastic action stuff with maybe more of the more emotional core of the film well to answer that last bit i'm not sure i had to think about that if it's an action scene i wrote action music <laughs> if it's an emotional dramatic scene i wrote um emotional dramatic music <laughs> is that over <laughs> oversimplifying what you're trying to ask a little bit maybe yeah um but uh Oh my God. I got lost in my own, in my own, whatever there. What were <laughs> no, you trying no. to say? No, 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 yeah, no. So yeah. I'm just curious. Yeah. Just structurally with the, with the score, what did you, you know, what did you want to do? I guess 
what kind of sonic palette did you want? I mean, we talked about a lot of the, the composers we grew up listening to. Uh, did you draw from any scores that you loved? How did you make sure that it was still kind of your voice as a composer? Right. And uh, yeah, what did you want to do with, what did you want, I guess, the goal of the, the score to be in the film? I mean, I think it's pretty obvious to anyone who's seen the movie that the director, that Jamie, he wanted to get the Spielberg essence on film. And yeah. part of it, Part of a Spielberg film is inevitably a John Williams score. So um, I really, it was almost impossible not to draw on John Williams' um, legacy for this, because when you think of great themes in movie music, you know, he, he's probably at the top of the list. Um, it also didn't help that Jamie tempted, tempted like 90% of the movie with John Williams scores. Um, and he would just send me Spotify playlists full of John Williams, like this moment from E.T. and this thing from Close Encounters. You know, there was some, there's Back to the Future as well and Cocoon and um, there was even some Avatar in the tent music a little bit. Like there was some of our other favorites from Silvestri and, and Horner. And we talked about Backdraft and Apollo 13. So a lot of Jurassic Park, you know, there was just yeah. the, all those 90s movies. And, you know, I think that, even if aesthetically something is similar to, you know, some those great scores, I think when you have your own individual themes, it ends up being, you know, a very personal um, score of, like you said, it comes from our voice. I keep saying, I'll say our voice because everything I did was filtered through Jamie as is any composer and director working together. So, you know, I think, Jamie and I come from two different sides a lot. Like Jamie loves things pretty minimal mm. and simple and clear. And I like things a little bit more ornamented and, you know, whatever. <laughs> so meeting in the middle was good for both of us, you know, yeah. you know, especially for me where he helps rein in the musical ideas. He helps focus them. He helps, get to the essence of it, you know? And so I think all of our themes are just completely our own and therefore, you know, it becomes its own score. Yes, does it evoke sounds of John Williams or Alan Silvestri? Sure, but that's just inspiration, hopefully yeah. not plagiarism. No, no, <laughs> yeah. not at all. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, I think we're all sponges and we're all, you know, just taking everything that we love and filtering it through ourselves. And I think your the score speaks for itself as I mean, it feels of your voice and it doesn't feel like a copy paste or anything. And it, it was like a refreshing breath of, fre you know, it was a breath of fresh air to hear something like this original, like in, you know, 2023 and just like, oh, oh yeah, this is what music can actually do, you know? <laughs> so uh, I, you mentioned the, having that kind of, that big central theme, that kind of something that kind of is an earworm that kind of hooks the, the audience and kind of can provide the structure for the score. So I'm curious, talk to me about creating that central theme. Was that one of the first things you did for Supercell? And and uh, what was your process? Uh, like, What were you drawing from the film to to evoke that theme? Um, it was the thing we started with. Funny enough, the first theme that we um, had approved um, was written for Zane, for Alec Baldwin's character. Mm. It didn't actually end up making it into the film because we did this really early um, I asked Jamie if I could read, I once he had gotten the script done, I read it and we did kind of a, kind of a semi spotting session against the script, mm. you know, as if we were scoring a movie, but scoring a script. Cause this was right. during the pandemic. There was, there was some time and 
um, yeah, like I said, we wanted to, we both wanted to get on this really early. So I just started writing themes against the script and I've never really done that before. I, I've been completely rewired to react to picture, you know, how the picture looks, how it feels, the pacing, all those things influence what kind of music I think should, should go in it. And so to write against kind of imaginary images in my head was a much different process. And as far as uh, the Supercell main theme went, uh, I don't know how many I went through in the beginning that were dis discarded, you know, by, by Jamie. And um, eventually I started thinking about um, Americana, wide mm. open spaces and Tornado Alley in the Central Plains. Uh, and I think some of my early sound uh, experiments or, or music experiments for this ended up having kind of a Thomas Newman-y kind of vibe to it. You know, he, he has a great Americana feel to a lot of yeah. his music. And uh, if to get slightly technical, like the first three notes of the Supercell theme, da, 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 this open, not major, not minor sound. And there's a lot of big leaps, a lot of open sounds, you know, the pioneered, maybe I hope pioneered is the wrong word, but uh, <laughs> Copeland-esque, you know, that kind of Americana vibe. And um, yeah, so when Jamie went uh, to Texas to shoot random footage of storms and lightning, and he took his friend Johnny Wachter, who makes an appearance in the hotel scene in the movie, they just did this proof of concept footage, to, like test shoot, and they filmed tons of great stuff. And he edited it into kind of a music video type thing. And I actually scored that about two years before they started filming the movie. And wow. that is where, that's where we really started trying to get the main theme, like, uh, approved and, and in the can. Um, before that, we had done a bunch of experiments, but nothing really stuck. Finally, we had some picture. It was kind of a story, even though it was like a two-minute video. And yeah, I wrote these first three notes, and Jamie picked up on that and said, I love that. And then I started to try to develop it from there into something that was a melody and that, you know, we finally got the first full phrase done, and he loved it. And then I'm like, how does it develop from there? He needs to go somewhere else. He needs to do something else. And I kept trying and he kept saying, no, 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 no. He's like, what if you just repeat it? I'm like, Jamie, you can't just repeat it. It's got to do something different. And then I did this modulation. I changed keys, but then I did repeat it exactly. And he's like, that's it. Play it once, play it again. He just wanted, you know, this is where his desire for things being simple and just getting to the core of an idea. Like once you hear a great thing, you know, you can play it again, play it against Sam, as if, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That, that's such an amazing process. Uh, I'm curious, is there, other than the central theme, are there any, uh, I know you said you front loaded the album with some of your favorites. Are there any like favorite moments or favorite themes or motifs that you just absolutely were so creatively rewarding to work on in this film? I mean, a lot of the themes other than the, the the themes that we developed during the movie are not were not set out to be themes. They were more, I would score a cue and doing it in with a melodic intent, you know, little motifs or melodies just kind of pop out of that approach. And so Jamie would listen to a cue and he would say, What's that? You know, those four notes or that what that phrase. He's like, I love that. 
like repeat that, play that again, put that in this part of the movie, put in that part of the movie. And that's really where most of our little motifs were born when he would figure out the things that he loved and I could then start building that uh, house of cards, you know, where a scene, where approaching a new cue, like, okay, well, if this character is doing this, then it's this legacy theme or it's this storm theme and then putting those in place and then building the cue around those ideas. Wow. That's awesome. That's, I mean, I just want to, I mean, congratulations again to just the getting the score done and then, you know, the, the way you guys executed it is just, uh, as I mentioned, a breath of fresh air and uh, yeah, I mean, that's, you must be so, I'm just so proud about it. Of it. So yeah, congratulations. <laughs> I'm proud of it too. Um, yeah. I, pro I don't think there's anything that I put this much into because we spent, you know, years on it. And then we started to, score against a fine cut in i want to say well october of 2022 uh on 2021 excuse me and then they didn't lock cut till january and then by that time a lot of things had changed so some of the things we had done against the picture even had to get thrown out and redone and rearranged and finally we did we put like a 12-week window in 2022 in january to march or february to april i forget but uh yeah we put like a 12 week schedule in which is unheard of a lot today <laughs> it's like yeah. i have some film scoring texts that discuss well this is how you lay out your 12 weeks this is how you do a score in 12 weeks um but i i haven't had 12 weeks let alone two years uh to work on a score ever you know they just don't have budgets for that at um indie level most of the time and um, to be fair, we really didn't have it here either. But out of pure passion and collaborative spirit, we we just did it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's just it's great that to see movies like this. You know, I think the term direct to video is no longer relevant anymore because I think streaming is just has it's allowing video I mean, movies that are technically maybe you know 10, 15 years ago maybe not you know great for theatrical release to find a bigger audience. And I'm seeing as we mentioned with the Daniels, we're seeing that filmmaking spirit is alive in this kind of indie film world still in these lower budget films and the way the, the kind of, there's that, that middle class of filmmaking for me has kind of disappeared and it's just like giant blockbusters and then what's going on kind of down here. But uh, it just, it just like makes me kind of hopeful for like the future of filmmaking and new voices. So, I mean, uh, Corey, I want to thank you for, for, for sharing everything today and talking about that. And, uh, and before we wrap up, you know, I know we mentioned, um, you know, some of the things that younger composers are asking you about getting started and everything. And since we are living this kind of time of change in our industry, and we're kind of living through shifting mergers and the streaming bubble popping. I'm curious if you could give like one or two pieces of advice to a, a new composer who's entering this world. What would you, from what you've learned in your career, what would you give out, you know, those two pieces of advice? Well, the the thing about going to USC or, or like a Berkeley or there's some other film scoring programs around the country, around the world, really, um, it's not that that is essential. What all it really does is condense what you need to be doing when you start off your career. It condenses like five years, maybe into one year. This is something that Chris Young always says, and I wholeheartedly agree. Um, because like I said, you don't know what you don't know. You have to figure that out right, as you right. go. Um, you know, I rhyme some of the time, as they say. Um, so you just have to go out and meet people pretty much. You have to yeah. find other composers, you have to find filmmakers, you have to find anybody 
in any walk of the film industry that hopefully will talk to you and then hopefully you can become friends with and they can become fans of yours. That's that line of like uh, having a fan who's a friend and a champion of like what you do. That's really kind of the key because they're the, they're the ones that will promote you to the next person and the next person. And really when I started out, that's what I did as after scoring a bunch of shorts at USC. Now I had this group of people that um, I hope uh, really appreciated my, what I did. And then, you know, finding out if they're working on anything or if they're working on something for somebody else and will they recommend me for that job and then just building out from there slowly and slowly. Um, and yeah, it, it certainly like being at USC sped that up. But if you can do that from anywhere in the world with the internet, it's and yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, I, I mean, and and <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, you mentioned we mentioned the soundtrack community in LA is like it is. It's it's a small. It's it feel it's big, but it feels small because it's it's everyone is there supporting each other and. You know, if you're in Los Angeles, you get you can join the SCL and and go to functions and bump elbows with other people in the industry and get advice. But even if you're not in Los Angeles, there's so many things online on Facebook groups that are big for like the Perspective Forum and and yeah, I encourage any young composer who's looking for that. Like you will find support around you. Like it's it's there and it's uh yeah and it is uh it is good to be in that kind of community. It definitely helps <laughs> instead of doing it alone. And and. And I'll just say you need an education. And I don't mean that in the academic university sense. I mean, you have to put in the time, whether it be five years, 10 years or more to learn. And there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, being an assistant for a composer and learning the ropes from him or her. Um, online videos, back when I was a young pup, you know, they had these things called isolated score tracks on DVDs, which I'm sure you yeah. know well. Um, I doubt some people today have even heard of that. Um, but things like The Matrix and Blade and Dark Crystal, like they, you wouldn't know it, but you wouldn't expect it, but you get a DVD and they have in the special features isolated score tracks. And remember soundtracks.net? They used to have oh, yeah. like a, of all the DVDs that had these. And just watching a movie with the score isolated, what a great resource. And now there's people doing film score analysis on YouTube where they show the movie and the score and the kind of uh, scrolling in the background. I mean, what a great way to kind of learn what's going on behind the picture with the music. Um, so however you get an education, whether it's through your own trial and error, through school, through online resources, talking, just talking to people one by one and, and finding out what they do and how they do it. Um, it's all, it's, you need to get an education. Yeah. It's, and the, yeah, those isolated score tracks are, it's a great way to see how the score is working, the shape of it, how it shapes to the edit, how it shapes to the scene pacing. And, and there are thankfully a few, I'm still a physical guy. Like I still buy my Blu-rays and I have, you know, 4k Blu-rays and um, there are still, thankfully, every now and then you get, you get a little treat. I think uh, Lauren Balfe did an isolated score for his mission impossible and, uh, I think Joe Kramer did had an isolated score track for that as well. So there's every now and then you'll get something like big and bold like that, that kind of, you can really study the shape of the music, but yeah, those are absolutely amazing points, uh, Corey, but thank you so much. I think we've covered so much today. It, it was such a pleasure to, and treat to, to, to talk with you and, and get all your insights. So yeah, thank you so much. 
Thank you, Kaya. It's been been great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs>